Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for March 30. My name is John Mason. Thank you for joining us. In the 1989 film, Dead Poet Society, a young English master at a New England prep school is portrayed pointing out photos of past students to his class. They're all dead now, he says. Carpe diem, seize the day, he advises. Seize the opportunities you have before it's too late. Moving from his report of the events surrounding Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead that we read in John chapter 11, and the ensuing plot of the Jewish religious leaders to kill Jesus, John the Gospel writer records that some six days before the Passover, Jesus and his followers went to Bethany, which is roughly three kilometers or two miles outside Jerusalem. There Jesus dined with his friends, Martha and Mary, and their brother, Lazarus, as we read in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. During the course of the meal prepared by Martha, where Jesus was guest of honor with Lazarus, Mary opened a jar of very expensive perfume, oil of pure nard from northern India, and poured it over Jesus' feet. Diners at that time reclined on couches around a dining table, typically leaning on their left elbow with their feet curled out behind them. Mary, who had wept and said to Jesus when Lazarus died, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died now not only anointed Jesus' feet with perfume, valued at more than a year's income, but also wiped them with her hair. Against the norms of polite society, she would have let down her hair to do this. Her act was one of humility, for she anointed Jesus' feet, not his head. She had seized the moment to thank Jesus with the most generous and extravagant devotion. However, Judas, one of the disciples, was unimpressed. John tells us that Judas's comment was not how thoughtful, or even what a mess, but what a waste. Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor, he had asked. John comments that Judas said this, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Judas's concern for the poor was nothing but hypocrisy. Underneath, he was greedy. 
and that's why in the end, his love for Jesus proved to be conditional. Indeed, all four Gospel writers report that Judas negotiated a deal with the Jewish leadership to betray Jesus. It's said that everyone has their price, and this was certainly the case with Judas. Matthew's Gospel tersely tells us that Judas asked the religious leaders, How much will you give me if I betray him? Judas's kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane following the Passover meal that we read in Luke chapter 22, turned out to be a treacherous kiss. For he was the kind of follower who supported Jesus as long as he thought there was something in it for him. When he realised Jesus was not fulfilling his expectations, he cast him off. How money and material things can deceive us. Seizing the moment can be used for both ill and for good. How different is Jesus' response to Mary's extravagance? Leave her alone, he said, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus' words about his burial here, and the fact that he would not always be with his disciples, echo a deeper theme he introduced in his conversation with Nicodemus back in chapter 3. A time would come when he must be lifted up, an allusion to the cross. As John's Gospel unfolds, it's increasingly evident that those who believe see that Jesus is not only the Son of God incarnate, but also God's King. Mary's anointing of him shows that she understood this. Jesus' comment that the anointing is for his burial reveals the deeper theme that before he could take up his kingship, he would first be laid in a tomb. Humanly speaking, his death would be brought about by Judas. There's something else behind Jesus' commendation of Mary's action. She understood the meaning of the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Yes, Jesus implies the poor need to be cared for. But to fulfil the meaning and practice of the second commandment, love your neighbour, we need first to love the Lord, which is what Mary was doing. Mary seized the opportunity to express in an extravagant way her heartfelt devotion to Jesus. She awakens us to the vital and intimate love and joy we can experience with Jesus. Luke, in his Gospel, tells us of another occasion when Jesus was dining with Martha, Mary and Lazarus. On that day, Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet, listening to him. And when Martha, who was in the kitchen, burst in on the gathering, asking for Mary's help, Jesus responded, Mary has chosen the better portion. How often do we seize the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet? reading and reflecting on the words of Scripture? How often do we pause to pray, asking His Spirit to draw us into Jesus' presence? How often do we go to church, forgetting that we gather first and foremost to come into the Lord's presence as His people? How often do we go out from church with no sense of having met with Him, unchanged from the attitudes that we took in?
Let me suggest that before going to bed tonight, read John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and pray over it, asking the Lord to draw you afresh into the riches of His love. Seize the time to offer or re-offer your life in heartfelt devotion, love and loyalty, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Seize the day while there is time. So let me pray. We beseech you, Almighty God, to look in mercy on your people, that by your overwhelming goodness we may be governed and preserved evermore. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
a prayer for peace. God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all men and women, and banish from them the spirit that makes for war, so that all races and people may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A prayer for those in need. Almighty Father, we commend to your goodness all who are in any way afflicted or distressed, especially those who are known to us. May it please you to comfort and relieve them according to their needs, giving them patience in their sufferings, and a happy issue out of all their afflictions. All this we ask for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all, evermore. Amen. People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and April Marks, a member of Christ Church Presbyterian San Francisco. Prayers are from an Australian prayer book 1978, and the opening and closing music is from St Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney. The hymn Praise to the Lord the Almighty is sung by the Cathedral Chamber Choir under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you.